We're going to start this week. Um, this is the second part to my welcome to the mission. And so I just want to start this week kind of, um, so last week I was, I was sharing about um, the mission of the church, and we started with Matthew 28 um, with the command to make disciples, and then we were talking about uh, the early church, the very first church in Acts, and what does it look like to be a you know, post-resurrection Christian going from a place of where Jesus is sharing amazing things about the kingdom and setting people free to actually having the, the spirit of the living God living inside of us. Um, and so um, this week I want to I wanna jump onto that and I want to talk about how, how do you make his mission central in your life. And what are the steps steps towards that? But the the first thing that I want to talk about is um, so the Apostle Paul, when he was dealing with the churches. So you have you know the the church is formed and the power of God is in it, and then all of a sudden there's this spontaneous expansion of the kingdom throughout the world, and churches are being um, planted, and, and God's opening doors for the gospel, and all of these works. Um, are made out of humans, right? <laughs> that have just met Jesus. So the, um, you end up having issues in your churches, right? You end up having problems in all of these places where all these humans have met the Lord. The spirit of God has come and indwelled inside of them. They're living out a new life. And then all of a sudden, issues start arising in these places that new churches have been planted where people have stepped in to the mission of, um, the, the, the mission of family, but what, how Paul deals with these issues is he always goes back to preaching the gospel. And so everything, just like last week, I was talking about like our issue with being, beginning to change our paradigm and our mindset and realizing that when we were saved, we were saved into a family that's on mission. And that stepping into that place of mission, we forget that and we become um, consumers instead of servants. And, but the issue is, is that we don't live within the reality of that gospel reality where we're, we have the power of that post-resurrection Christianity living within us. And in the same way, in all the epistles, he begins, you notice that Paul, if you go through each one before he begins to talk about the household order and, and the, the, the order of the church and how we're to treat one another, the very first thing is he begins to re-preach the gospel because you cannot live as a Christian if, you do not, if, if you've not walked into that place of salvation where you're being changed daily where, you're, where the, the, the Lord, the Spirit of God has come in and, and you no longer live, but Christ lives inside of you. And so all the things that we're asking, and so for many years as we've been sharing and we're saying, get ready, get ready, get ready, people are like, what is it that you want us to do? Well, we're not asking to, you to do anything. We're, we're asking you to be transformed and to walk into this post-resurrection Christianity, this power of God where the living God lives inside of us because when we're overcome with intimacy, Intimacy with the Lord, we're overcome with mission and, and what's on his heart. That's what changes us. And so there's not a list of things that people need to be doing more of. There is this place in Jesus, this place in our salvation that we need to return back to. And that's why Paul continues to go back and say, the problem here is that we've forgotten what Jesus did for us. And we, we see that in Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, each one, he, there's a problem in the church that he's writing a letter to address and he begins by saying, let's remember what Jesus did for us. Let's remember that we were in darkness and now we live in light. Now let's remember that we don't have to live by the, the carnal flesh leading our lives. We can live in the spirit and so this is the call is for us to, to come to be translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now, when I say this, I, I want to say this because I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, she's talking to you. <laughs> okay? Because I feel like every week we come up and we talk and, and people think we're talking to somebody else. Okay? And I'm not talking to somebody else. 
Just like Paul, when he wrote these, these epistles, he was writing it to the church. He was writing it to people that knew Christ, that had, had developed a whole church family and were on mission in a city together. And in that place of knowing Christ and being on mission in that city, they found themselves all of a sudden being swayed by winds of doctrine that would lead them into places that didn't have life in them. And so God is bringing us into this place where he's saying, the, renew the joy of your salvation. Remember what I've done for you. Um, I want to, let's go to Isaiah 61. And this, because I think this is a, is a great description of salvation, right? So it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. So any of you who are afflicted, Jesus came and brought you good news. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Who's brokenhearted? Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted, to touch your wounds. All the places that the enemy, all of your life history where the enemy has come in and robbed you of your inheritance, Jesus has come to bind up the wounds of your broken heart. He's come in to heal your trauma. His hand is not short. I don't know where at some point in the church that we've, we've decided that God's hand is short to reach in and to touch people's hearts and lives. It's not short. The issue is, is do we want salvation? Because salvation isn't us sitting here and God loving us so much that he's going to come and bless us. It's us recognizing our own sin in our own hearts our own desire to do what we want, to, that we have a better way. And if we just do it our way, that we'll come out with some other resolution. And Jesus is saying, no, salvation is for you. Healing is for you, but it's on my terms. And his terms are that we come to him and we repent for our own sin. We repent for how we've responded to people's sin against us. We look at our own hearts and we recognize the sinfulness of our own heart to the point that we can't judge others because we have so much, we're so overwhelmed with the, uh, the lack in our own lives and hearts that we can't, we can't get it right. There's nothing good. Even our best idea is, is the Bible says it's his filthy rags before him. So our, our best effort is not good enough. We are in desperate need of a savior. And the posture of heart is coming to the cross and embracing it and saying, thank you, Jesus, that you took my sin upon you, that I can now be clothed in righteousness and I can be filled with the spirit of the living, holy God who's righteous. I can have relationship. Every place of my heart is filled and satisfied with the, this living God, this father. I have become a daughter to a king that created the universe. He created me. He knows everything about me. He can touch every place of my heart in a way that no one else can. And that is what he, you've been invited into, but that invitation is a death to yourself. It's, it's, it's coming and laying yourself down and saying, Father, I repent for my sin. And in that place, there is a translation from death into life that there is healing and there is power. There is a supernatural power. And we've come into an American gospel that thinks that we're just gonna step into this place and God's gonna bless us because we're, he loves us. When it's, it's not, it's, it's that we're sinners and we need a savior and he's come to save us, but it's on his terms. If we'll step into it that way, if we'll come and die daily, if we'll pick up our cross and live for him daily, we enter into the beauty of salvation that is filled with mission and power and vision. We all of a sudden step from this place of lack to a place of total abundance where Jesus is moving in every area of our life. We're seeing supernatural things happen. There's this power of heaven that is on us. Um, okay, I want to keep reading Isaiah 61. It says, um, 
to proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. And so there is an empowerment that comes with salvation that we walk into this place of beauty and strength. And so that's why when we talk about mission, it's not a daunting task because the more we step into intimacy with this real God who has saved us, the more we're overwhelmed with the mission that's on his heart. And the more empowered we are, it's not something that's hard, like, oh, we're so busy, and how can we fit this in? It's you're overwhelmed with it. You're impassioned. You're devoted to it. Everything in your life is thinking about this king that sets you free. There is this love affair. And so when we're talking about the steps toward mission, one is walking into this place of intimacy with him. When we, when the more intimate we are with him, the more service overwhelms us. And I want you to think about it even in natural terms, like, like with Sean and I, when we're in a really good place, we're relationally in a good place, we have intimacy of conversation, we have intimacy, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'll get up and make you coffee, I'll make you breakfast, I'll do whatever you want, right? <laughs> we get in a bad place, and I'm like, there's the coffee pot, bud right? <laughs> you can make your own breakfast. <laughs> um, but I'm saying, but it is an attitude. You can really see the attitude of heart because I'm telling you to serve in a place when we're not in a good place, it's really hard to serve. It's like, all right, you know, you know I'll do this. And, and then sometimes I don't because I'm just like, well, bud, you're on your own. You know, you could be nice. <laughs> um, but so I say that, so it's a very natural thing that when we come into this place of intimacy with the Father and we commune with him and we take time with him, that we get into this good place because all of a sudden every day we're laying down and dying and we're being filled with Christ and his power and his spirit. The essence of salvation, we taste it each day. Because our flesh is alive, and so if we, don't, if we don't take that time to cultivate that intimacy and relationship with the Father, then our flesh begins to live, and we're, we're prone to deception. We're not in the Word. We don't know the Word, and my gosh, right now, there is so much deception in the earth, right? I'm saying if we are not in the Word every day, we need to, we, this, is, this is an anchor to our soul. In a time where deception is so rampant, the word of God itself is an anchor to our, it's a more sure word than prophecy. This is what we need. And so like the parable that Jesus shares about the 10 versions, and it talks about that they had their oil, their, five of them had their, their lamps filled with oil. How do you think you get your lamp filled with oil? It's time, time with the Father. Time, taking time out of your schedule to spend time with Jesus, to spend time in the Spirit, fills your lamp with oil. If we are never taking time and setting aside time, we, we end up running out of oil in the day. Because there's only one person that has oil. And that's Jesus. That's God himself. That is where our oil comes from. That is where our salvation comes from. And so when we stop and each day we step into that place of saying, God, speak to me. What's on your heart today? You begin to have conversations with him. You begin to set aside time with him. And now when I say this, some of us are like, oh my gosh, I work 80 hours. I'm a busy person. I get it. But you can't, you don't have time not to spend time with him. And he's a multiplier of time. If you're a young mom, one of the ideas that you can do is, is you put your Bible out on your kitchen table, right? And you, you go by during the day and you read some scripture and you grab it. You take some post-it notes. You write some scripture down and put it at your sink and you put it in the bathroom. These are things that you do because you can't afford not to spend time with him. If you don't spend time with him, you don't have oil to pour out on your children. You don't have oil to pour out on your husband. You don't have oil to pour out on the mission of the family of God. 
If you're working 80 hours a week, if you don't take some time, whether it's at morning or night, to spend time in the presence of the Father, you don't have oil to do your daily job. You, you, you get into burnout, you get into rundown. And that's what I'm saying is there is a supernatural lifestyle that we step into. It, his burden is easy and it's light, but it's easy and light when we've come and we've died and we no longer live, but he's living in us. If we are not in that posture, it is very hard, it's very daunting, and burnout is coming your way. But if you, if you walk in this place of mission, with him, where he has, he's become your all in all, and every day you're taking that time of intimacy with the Father. You're reading little bites of the word throughout the day. The Bible says to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, speaking to one another. Those are things, do we do those things? Or have they become archaic and, and, and old school, right? We don't need to do that anymore. That's not, the, the Bible is the Bible. We need to be encouraging our spirits in the Lord. These are real places that when we step into salvation and we begin to, to read his scripture and we begin to talk to God, all of a sudden we start, our ears are attuned to him. We begin to hear him. We begin to hear his voice. And then all of a sudden our hearts are filled with this joy that's spoken about in Isaiah 61. This oil of gladness all of a sudden fills our hearts. And out of that, we begin to sing. Scripture comes to mind. It reminds me of even um, as we've been stewarding this accommodation that God has asked us into, um, many people that I've talked to have been, we've all been changed by taking the time to steward it, by taking those two hours. And at first, early on, it was really hard. Two hours was really hard. None of us were really accustomed to like praying for two hours. My gosh, right? That seems so hard. And, and we were like, well, we, you know, and, and we of course told everybody, we're like, pray, read scripture, sing, whatever. Like you're not stuck with one, you know, like you have to do one thing. But again, it was, it was still hard. And you know what I've learned as I've been doing it, all of a sudden, there's a sense of, of greater oil that's in my life. But in saying that, there's been times, and even now, there's still times, like even now, um, that when I'm doing it, all of a sudden, it becomes a drudgery. And it's three in the morning, I've been praying an hour, and I'm just like, oh, I'm so tired, I'm so tired. And so then I'm just like, and then I pull out my Bible and I just start reading scripture. And it's exhausting. And I'm just like, you got to make it through this, this extra hour here. Um, I've done it that way. And I did it. I was faithful. Um, but then I've also done it a different way where I've gotten tired and I've, and I've said, you know what, Stephanie? He's worthy. And I, I've spoken to my spirit and I said, I know you're tired, but he's worthy. And let's give him a sacrifice worthy of his name. And I would, and I'm saying it didn't look a whole lot different. If you had watched me online, it wouldn't have looked a ton different. But the posture of my heart was very different. And in that place, I would press through and I'd begin to focus on the Lord as I paced and I would be like, you are worthy. And I would just start exalting him in that place of being tired, giving a sacrifice of praise in my tiredness. And the next thing I know, the grace of heaven is on me. And by four o'clock, I am pumped up, ready to take on hell. Right? And, and I'm saying, and I've done both. I've done both. But this is an example of even in our own lives. That is an example of being in the prayer room is you can, you can offer a sacrifice of praise and let God fill that as that beautiful essence of that sacrifice of praise fills heaven and all of a sudden the spirit of God comes down and you find grace for the hour. That is what you can do in the prayer room, but you can also do it in your own lives. When you're faced with a hard place, a place of struggle, what is your choice? You know, you could do the right thing just because it's right and do it with a bad attitude. I used to tell my kids this all the time. I would say, you can do, you can do, you're going to do it either way, but you can do it with a bad attitude and get no reward in heaven, or you can do it with a good attitude and you can earn <laughs> riches in heaven. <laughs> um, but either way, you're going to do it. So, you know, you choose. You want riches in heaven? You want gems from Jesus? Um, 
But in the same way, it is really true in our own lives. Each, each thing that we face every day, every trial that we face every day, how do we face it? Do we face it out of that place of intimacy we've received and we're like, okay, Lord, I know this is hard, but I'm going to do what's right with, with my attitude, looking to you, allowing you to change my heart, allowing you to move in this place, helping me love this difficult person, helping me do this hard job. And all of a sudden, grace from heaven comes. And I told you, God answers in two ways. He either provides help or he provides grace. But he's always going to provide one or the other. It says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And that deliverance is gonna be provided from help or grace. And so this is why you hear all these amazing stories of martyrs and during the Holocaust, things where God moved with grace in a very difficult season. Many of those people in their lives didn't get the help, they got the grace for the hour. And grace came in abundance, in power. And this is the power that I'm talking about that God wants us to tap into to live on mission. When we're saved, we're step, we step into the family of God who's on mission. We bring our family, our, our natural family, into mission with us. And we begin to live out of this place of abundance, expanding the kingdom of heaven on earth. This is amazing, right? And this is the call of heaven, is to bring us into this. And this is why I said I'm talking to you, because this shoe fits all of us. There is a place that God is wanting to bring his church. And if the church was operating in this place of abundant grace, if we were operating in the place of of the Acts Church, where we had just gone from not just knowing Jesus to literally experiencing him, right? Like, like we went from seeing really cool things and you're like, he's the savior, this is so cool. And then he pays the price for our sins, gives us access into the Holy of Holies, access to where when we pray now, we're clothed in righteousness and we can talk to the living God. Whereas before, you didn't have that access to have intimacy with him. You, didn't, you had to do things so that you could be holy to, to even be blessed. And yet he still, he continued to reach towards us. But it was when he provided a savior that he brings us into this place. And so this is the essence of mission. This is the essence of servanthood, is giving our lives away out of a place of knowing him. And that's why there's not a list that I can give you like, well, if, you, if this was happening and that was happening, then you know, if you were doing this, this, and this, then we would be where we're supposed to be. It's not, it's not that simple because it's about the essence. We're not looking for people to check boxes. We're looking for people to walk into the essence of salvation. And when we do that, there's not a box that you have. People are overcome. And we're like, we become like Paul and Timothy saying we're bond servants to Jesus. We're giving our lives away happily, dying daily, serving the world, serving the lost, serving our missions, our outreaches. Our Sunday experience is a mission experience for the lost. And so all of a sudden going like, oh, I'm on a team today becomes to like, oh man, let's see what God's going to do. All of a sudden, you have energy to go spend with the children. You have energy to serve coffee. You have energy to stand out in the parking lot and look at people and say, you're seen. Jesus loves you. That smile, when they come in, you're saying, you're welcome at the table of the Lord. All of a sudden, it comes from this place of consumer experience that I'm coming to get something to what am I coming to give today? You're bringing something to the table. You're filled with all fullness. And... I want to share this because a lot of times when we talk about salvation, when we talk about the church and family, we use these terms that create this place in our minds that, well, it's family, it's community, that there's, there's, um, there's something that they should be doing for me. And I'll give you an example to make it clear. Like, with, uh, when I was married, when we first got married, um, Sean and I, I... 
there were things that I thought he should be doing, right? And you read scripture and, you know, your husband's going to love your wife as Christ loves the church and all these great things. And so I'm looking at this and I'm like, I have set this expectation up for Sean that he should know things about me. He should be treating me certain ways. He should be doing certain things for me. And he was always falling short of these expectations. And so as a good helper, I began to share with him and communicate very well (laughs) um, where he was missing my expectations. And all it would do is produce more like conflict and it just produced a lot of, yeah, like it never really produced any good fruit. And then all of a sudden one day the Lord began to speak to me and I had this revelation of... Sean gets to choose, and he's not my source, Jesus is. And, and I knew this before I was married, but somehow, you know, the translation after I got married, I was like, oh, okay, now, like, now, because Jesus, when I, when I was single, it was like, Jesus is my husband, and I would go out on dates with him, and I did all this, yeah, we had this really cool, intimate relationship um, that I loved, and so I get married, and I'm thinking, okay, well, now you're him. Um, and of course, again, I mean, I'm saying there's no human that can meet up to that standard, right? Like Jesus is touching every area of your heart that you need touched. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, you're him now. Like you're supposed to be treating me like that. But I'm saying this to say that I, so my expectation created this toxic relationship because he was never adding up. And he's like, look, like I can't do anything right. You know, like, what do you want from me? And, and then it made him not even want to, to, to do it. You know, it, was, it, became, it became toxic. And when I had this revelation that he gets to choose, Jesus is enough for me and my source is in him, not in the expectation of a human, but I'm sourced from heaven always. My salvation is enough. I don't need somebody to come in and give me something because he is my source. And out of that source, I began to love him unconditionally. And you know what happened? was all of a sudden the guy that I wanted, he became. Out of the freedom to choose it, out of the freedom to be loved, all of a sudden he began treating me like I felt, you know, like he was doing things that I wasn't asking or things I'd asked before that he, where he was falling short. All of a sudden, it was like, what is going on? Like, all of a sudden we went into this place in our marriage that was amazing. But a lot of it had to do with me all of a sudden, like having this revelation. And, and during that time, it was actually near Valentine's Day, I, um, God was challenging my heart to be thankful and saying, you have an amazing husband. You need to be thankful. And so I wrote 52 things that I was thankful for. That was super hard. Try it. Try it for anybody. Like I'm saying, that's a lot of thankfulness, right? Um, and so I took the time to write out all of these things that, you know, this is, this is who Sean is. And so I began, but, but I'm saying this was out of a place of like I had lived in this place of like I felt like lack, like he didn't do this and he didn't do that and he, he was so busy here or whatever, whatever my complaint was. And out of that, I began to be thankful for who he was. And in that place, all of a sudden, it changed my heart. And he had the freedom to be Sean who is amazing. And I began to experience that amazing Sean in that place. But I'm saying this in the same way, we come into the church and we have this expectation, community, family, we have these words that we come as orphans in a place of lack and we think, well, this is community. You're supposed to be meeting my needs. And as any human does, we let you down. We don't, we, we don't meet all of those needs. We, we don't call at the right time. We, don't, we didn't recognize that you needed this. There's, there's things that we miss that all of a sudden we're like the Sean, right? And you have a choice. You can look to the unconditional love and be thankful for what God's given you and all of a sudden begin to see Jesus in that where he fills all things. And our salvation is attached to him. And I'll tell you, guys, if you begin to live like this in your marriage, it'll change your life. When Jesus becomes your source, all of a sudden everything changes because the expectations are taken off and people get to just live being saved and giving and serving out of that place of freedom, liberty, 
You're not bound to this standard of you must do this. The words that Jesus gives, even the, the household order, it's, it's you get to choose it. Submission is something I get to choose. It's not a demanded thing. God is offering us liberty in him. And when we choose to walk in his ways, we find freedom. We find the beauty of heaven enters in and fills all things and reconciliation begins to happen in every area of our life. And all the generational curses, all of a sudden the bondages are being broken because we've operated out of an opposite spirit. But in the same way, when we come into church, we need to begin to release all of the church family from our expectations and begin to step into our place of salvation and that intimate place with the Lord, and in that place of intimacy, we're changed. We begin to find the beauty of the cross. And it begins to, this Isaiah 61 is no longer just a scripture, it's an embodiment of who we are. And all of a sudden, sin starts falling off, right? It's not, it doesn't taste good anymore. It's like we've found this savior. All the bondages, the traumas, the orphan ideas and mentalities, they fall away because we begin to find out that we're sons and daughters. All of a sudden, the words of Christ begin to settle in and become real to us. And this is where, why I said we, I'm talking to everyone because the church needs to move from this place of immaturity to maturity. And maturity looks like the essence of heaven, the weight the, the kabod of God, the glory of God weighted down in our souls that when we talk, there is such a deep authenticity and realness of what we're saying that it convicts all those around us. You can sit and talk about Jesus all day. Talking about Jesus and saying his name is not magic. It's when we become the embodiment that we allow that we're no longer living and Christ is living in us. The weight of that glory, all of a sudden, you don't have to say a whole lot. You just speak a little bit and it begins to overflow. Oil starts coming out and touching everybody around you. And that is where God is calling us as a people and as a body. He's calling us to this place of such maturity that we're not, we're not swayed by every wind of doctrine, that we don't, each of us are living to our own selves. There's a unity, and that's what you continue to see throughout Scripture, the unity, one mind, one heart. How do you get there? It's through intimacy with the Savior. How do you get to mission? It's through intimacy with the Savior. We begin to look like Jesus. We begin to smell like him. The oil of heaven is on us, and that is, is with time with God. You can't, you, you can't, there's not a shortcut, and if you can't do it alone, you don't need a prayer closet. I'm saying, uh, Susanna Wesley used to, she had like 12 kids or something. She would throw out an apron over her head in the middle of the day and just having prayer time with God in the middle of her kitchen. Um, you could do it anywhere, anytime. There's not some special look that you have to have. You could stop at any moment and God is available to us, but it's stopping and acknowledging him in our lives. It's stopping and it's coming to the cross again and saying, Father, what do you want to speak to me? It's taking that different times throughout the day. There was one message Sean talked about. He, everybody, we all set our clocks for like seven times a day. We'd have an alarm go off and just acknowledge God. And so you'd hear this ring and you'd be like, Jesus, you're worthy, you know? Uh, just, just seven times a day, like stopping to say, you're worthy. I acknowledge you and your sovereignty and who you are. But it's powerful because you're stopping and you're beginning to step into that place of salvation. And that's when he says, work out your salvation. It's not like we say a prayer and we're all good. That prayer is the, is the gateway. It's the step into the family of God. It's the step into the place of mission together. But then our oil, the, the, our lamps have to be filled daily with oil. Our lives have to be filled daily with oil. Before I got married, I had spent two years. God did so much in my heart right before I got married. And it was amazing. And I was a little bit of a wild preacher lady. Like extra wild. Almost eccentrically wild. We would do crazy things. And like just for fun, Friday nights for fun, we would just move all our furniture in our living room and like worship for hours just for fun. 
And we would go down to the street corner where there were three bars and preach the gospel on the street just for fun. That was our fun. You know, we just, we just wanted to tell people about Jesus and share things. The police would be like, it's going to get bad out here pretty soon. And we're like, oh, that's what we want. <laughs> we're here. But, but I was so crazy. I was like in a revival before revival was cool. This is like just pre before the outpouring of God in the 90s. And... Um, and so I got married in that place of revival, and I was a little too much for the church. <laughs> and so um, the pastors began to put a lot of pressure on Sean to like get his wife under control. <laughs> and, um, and so we had a couple of conversations, and he was trying to be very gentle, and I was like, you know, what are you exactly trying to say here? And, um, and so out of my immaturity, really, at the time, there was probably better ways of handling what I did, but it was almost like I had spent years of God, worshiping God in my prayer closet, just spending time. I was single. I, I just loved Jesus so much, and it was like I had just built this garment of praise that I lived in. I lived in it. Like, everything was just a... I, I mean, I would break out in worship. I would... I mean, Diane knows. She knows me from back in the day. Um, and so when he finally, we had this one night where we had this conversation and it was like, you need to stop. And I was like, it was traumatic. It was, it was super traumatic because I was like, what? Like, what, what is going on? And I remember saying to him, I said, you know, I said, I'm going to hand this over to you now. And I said, and Jesus will give it back to me one day and nobody will take it again. But it was literally that night, I literally like stripped myself because the church was really coming against me. And boy, this is what I'm talking about, a walking, the difference of walking in the spirit and the flesh. I turned into this, like, I think Sean was like, oh my God. I was a monster after that. I went into a depression, but it was like I wasn't unable, like I wasn't living out of the spirit anymore. I had, I had stepped away because it had gotten, and, and like I said, it was probably, there was better ways of me handling it, but at the time I was super intense and extreme. <laughs> Wonder of wonders, right? that I would be like that, but, um, cause I'm still a little more intense and extreme now, but, um, but I'm telling you, I walked into this place of like utter depression and, and it was horrible. And our marriage was hor like, he was like, literally what happened? Like, I just really messed up my life. Like this was really bad. And I'm sharing this to say, when you walk in the spirit, everything is easy. Like the essence of Christ is on you. Even your, your, your faults, God covers them with grace. And there's this place of essence and beauty where Isaiah 61 is living in your life. And, and then I had walked in and I had stripped all of that off and said, this is me. And I, and I was pretty ugly. And it, it was very hard. And I, I was in that place for, gosh, it was probably like nine years. And you know what? Every day of my life, I have a, a song in my heart. I wake up and I have a song in my heart. Like now, every morning I wake up and there is a song in my heart, a new song for every day that Jesus gives me. And I had had that all during that time. And after that night, my song was gone. And so for nine years, I'd never had a song in my heart. And so, and so I'm saying I lived in this place of, of lack. I lived in this place of doing the, the church thing, doing the religious stuff. And it was hard and it was desolate and it was dark. And God, in about nine years from that point, God restored to me the joy of my salvation. And I walked back into a place, but I'm sharing that with you because when you live out of the flesh, it's ugly and you do things and then you're in the church living out of your flesh and you're like, why are, you know, why are people acting like this? Why are people, it's because you're ugly and everything you see looks ugly to you. It's your own lack and it's the, it's the lack of your vision because you can't see Jesus moving in people's lives and hearts, the grace of God. You can't see the joy of your salvation anymore. And you begin to look through a lens of the flesh and all of a sudden, instead of being the bride of Christ, you become like the Frankenstein of Christ, you know? And, and 
it, it's very pharisaical, like, because then you live out of religion and criticism and judgment and all of these things that Paul begins to speak against. And when the church operates in them, he stops and says, hey, let's go back to salvation. Let's go back to what Jesus did to you, what you were in darkness, and he called you into light. He saved you. He took your unrighteousness and covered it and gave you his righteousness. He, there is a place, if you'll come and die, he'll live in you. And he reestablishes people in their salvation, in the gospel, and out of that place they begin to live. And so this is our call as the body of Christ into mission is to live out of that essence of salvation. And it's for all of us to come and, and revisit the joy of our salvation revisit that place. If there's lack in your heart, if there is a place of brokenness, if there is a place of generational desolation that you see, um, anything with any kind of thing, trauma, torment from the past, God's hand is not short. The gospel is real. When Jesus said, I came to set men free, he came to set men free. Period. Period. There is a joy in salvation, and that's what I'm telling you. I came from brokenness, and Jesus came and filled up my cup to overflowing, that even in my immaturity, I, I tasted the goodness of God. I didn't walk in a place of lack, and I had horrible things happen to me, you guys, horrible things. But I'm not sitting there petting my trauma. I'm walking in the grace of the living God who promised to save me and to set me free. And this is the message for the world. We need to rise up as the church in our salvation, tasting the grace of heaven to say God is enough. He provided a way out. He will save you. He will deliver you. He will touch you. And he will provide grace or help for you in whatever affliction you're facing. And he's faithful, he's faithful, he's faithful, he's faithful. And this is what drives us in the mission. This is what drives us to give our lives away. This is what drives us to look around and say, God, how else can I spend my life for you? It's the place of salvation. It's the place of the beauty of the cross. Okay, let me make sure I've covered everything. Well, I did want to cover, um, some scripture. <laughs> I'm preaching out of scripture. I mean, this is the essence of Ephesians, um, Philippians, Colossians, all of it. Uh, as, like I said, as you go and look through, as you, as you begin the, the chapters, you see Paul revisiting this place. But it says, um, one of the things that it says, it says this is Ephesians 4. It says, I, last week I read it about how he gave, he gave us gifts for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And so when I say this, guys, I want you to hear that, that God is calling us into a mature man to the fullness of Christ. That is a huge statement. And so he's wanting us to, to revisit that place of the cross. And again, do you wanna be free? Because if you want to be free, freedom is available, but it's only available on God's terms. I've talked to people sometimes and saying, well, I'm here. If he wants me, he can, you know, I, I've done all that I can. And it's like, well, he doesn't come on your terms. So be free, go keep living how you want and let me know how it happened, you know, how you feel a couple weeks, a couple years, whatever it's going to take. Cause God will let you, he'll let you just keep doing it yourself. You got a better idea? He's like, okay, you know, keep going, but I'm here when you're ready. And freedom is for those that want it. Because when you want it, you're willing to come and lay down before the cross to subordinate your ideas, to subordinate your best ideas, 
to come and submit to Him. That's huge. I know that that, that comes off your tongue super easy, but that's called dying to your own will and choosing His, just like Jesus did in the garden. And He said, Father, not my will, but yours. Are you saying that with each place in your life? Each place of trial, each place of affliction? Are you saying, Father, not my will, but your will? Have you come and fully died that he can fully live in you? That's where freedom is found. The beauty of salvation is found in that place of dying. And there's no shortcut. There's no easy way. There's nothing. There's no way to coddle your flesh in that. It's called come humility. You come and say, God, here I am. All the ugliness, all my sin, all of it. Here it is. And I'm coming before you and I'm laying down at your feet and receiving the divine exchange of my rags and trash and, and the ugliness, the impurity and perversion of my own heart. And I'm receiving your holiness. And that is where all of us, again, need to revisit as the church, just like Paul preached it to church after church, right? He's preaching it to us again and saying, will you come with your ugly attitudes? Will you come with your criticism and your judgment? All of who we are, all our humanity and our flesh. And we all live there, you guys. I'm saying, when I tell you I'm speaking to me, I'm saying God has been dealing with me over these last two years. Like I have found myself here often revisiting this and saying, God, what has happened? What has happened? We, there's, a, there's a reality in you that we're not seeing and experiencing. And you know what? We can look on the bright side like and say, oh, I think we're doing pretty good. And compared to other churches, we're probably really good. But what is that compared to the gospel? What is that? That's not going to offer somebody life that we're better than the next guy down the street. That's not going to expand the kingdom of heaven on earth and all authority that was given to Jesus for us to extend his reign upon the earth through us human vessels. That's not going to happen by us being better than the next guy. That is only going to happen when we come and we die to ourselves and we live in him in every area of our life in our relationship with our marriages, in our relationship with the church, in our relationship with our friends, with our boss, every area of your life. He's saying, I want to live in you. Come and die. Come and die. Come and put yourself on the cross with me and receive my grace and my joy. There is a salvation that is available and a taste of heaven that I promise you will satisfy every longing of your heart. Every longing of your heart is is found in him because he does love you. But that's why because he loves you, there's no easy way to him. He's saying this is the only way. I have made the only way. And it comes through your humility and your coming and laying your life down before me. Your honesty of your lack, your honesty of all your filth. And and, and guys, I'm talking to us as the Pharisees. That's why I said, I'm talking to you, okay? Because it's, it's super easy. I'm saying Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians. All these churches found themselves wandering from the truth of the gospel, the joy of their salvation, the very place that there was power for the journey. They had gone on to their own ways. They had gone into humanism and into what they thought was best and what they thought God was saying. And he's saying, no, come back to me. And today God is calling us in this season into this place is almost as if it's a new wineskin coming into the joy of our salvation, coming into this freshness of the kingdom that all of a sudden our life, we live out of this place of beauty and strength and power, set free, delivered. Our broken heart is healed. 
oh man, when you taste that, that's what I'm saying, that has oil on it. And you begin to share with somebody and say, I was in pain and Jesus came and touched the deep place of my heart and I'm free. I'm free and it's beautiful. It tastes so amazing. I came from a history of of generational bondage and he set me free. There's beauty at the cross. And this is the joy of our salvation. This is the strength for our journey. This is what we're calling you into to be on mission. And it will look like mission. It will look like service. It will look like doing stuff. It'll look like that because you're overcome with the joy of the Lord. And you're saying, God, let me give my life away to everything to the outreach, to the region, to my, to the family. That's why in Acts it said daily they were meeting together. They were breaking bread. There was a beauty that they started finding in relationship because Jesus was their source. And so this is the mission today. This is the, the call. And so I'm calling you and saying, revisit this. Everyone, everyone here, revisit this place of salvation. Revisit what was done at the cross for us on behalf of the world that we could, we could demonstrate this to the world, that we can become a, 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 just a, a huge oil tank here, right? That everywhere we go, we've got oil. I got oil. It's flowing out of my life. Every, every place I go, oil is being left behind the essence of heaven. That's what he's asking of you today. So let's just take some time. um, Let's spend some time before the Holy Spirit and just ask him what it is in your heart. We can all grow. There's deeper places. There's always more in him. There's more in him. Ask the Holy Spirit for a fresh view of salvation. As we're working out ours, what does that mean to us in our daily lives? Are we, are we dying daily and living with him? Set commitments in your life and heart to spend time with him. Whatever that looks like, you can't afford not to. Starting from this week, you've got to start spending time, more time, more time. There was a father in the faith. He said, much prayer, much power, little prayer, little power. We need much power in our lives. The world needs an answer. And we need to provide that answer through Jesus.